the value of that core postal part of the business is declining because, as with any business, you project forward revenues, etc. Ours are clearly going to go down in that core part of the business, and therefore that part of the business is losing value substantially. And I suppose the thing that's got us a little bit worried is that we seem to have seen a bit of a shift in the rate of decline from about 6% a year ago to about 7.5% per annum now. That may step up again because we know the banks and many others are looking to proceed further down the track of communication via the internet rather than communication via the letterbox. So that's faster than what you had been anticipating? Faster than we had previously been planning for. We clearly have to now revisit our forward forecasts and our forward assumptions around the business. It does point up the need for getting the go-ahead from the government around the deed of understanding to give us the flexibility to respond to what is an ongoing pattern. This is not a pattern where we can reverse it. There is no, there's no leave it at all to get people to move back to writing letters or businesses to use letter mail more than using internet, etc. Is there at some point in the foreseeable near future, say in the next 10, 20 years, a point where letters are just going to stop altogether, do you think? Very hard to say at this point. I think it has to be seen as a possibility. We tend to be planning still around an assumption that there's a kind of residual element of, of what people rather unkindly call snail mail these days, which will not go away. But that will become a smaller and smaller part of, of that business. And so that means that the, the focus shifts much more to the sort of package parcel type of uh, part of the business and integrating therefore um, that part of the business with the old letter part of the business much more than we have done over the last 10-20 years. So you do see that as a core point of integration between the two businesses, your network and the parcel business? We need to integrate uh, those particular parts of the business. Obviously New Zealand Post carries parcels but ECL carries obviously a large number of parcels and that courier type of business is one which is tending to continue to expand. I think we'll see, if we're looking 10, 20 years down the track, we'll see specialist kind of, of letter delivery often being done through a mixture of our current systems of delivery, whereas at the moment we have quite a separated form of delivery by and large. Yeah, because you've got quite a good, you know, you've got a good network to leverage off for, for the current business. We've got a good network. That's both an advantage and, of course, a problem in that we have a, a large network for delivering letters to, you know, so a very large number of delivery points. We have a very large number of people employed in that. Um, we are working them as hard as they can be worked. We're quite worried, um, both the chief executive and I are quite worried about the workloads. Um, of our posties, the number of miles of uh, kilometres they cover a day walking or cycling or whatever, we can't push them any further um, than that. So we have to find other answers and that's when we need that flexibility and the deed of understanding. But fascinating enough, just yesterday my mother-in-law said to me, um, have you gone down to three days a week already? We only seem to be getting our letters Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And I said, no, no. It's just that most people are only getting their letters about two or three days a week now because that's actually what's happened with the number of letters that people get. In terms of the parcel business and the career business, there definitely seems to be a focus, from my understanding, to, in a way to offset the revenue that you're losing from the yeah. mail. I'm not sure it's so much an offset. It's just that that is a growing business, not growing as, as quickly as, as I would like. I think we need to make sure that we're getting 
um, our full share of, of that growing parcel business. It doesn't really offset mail in terms of volumes. I mean, you can't stack up, even if you already did all this shopping over the internet, you can't stack up the postie on a bicycle um, with all the parcels which might then need to be <laughs> delivered. Comes a horrendous sort of vision. Somebody trying to go up Baldwin Street in, in, in uh, North East Valley in Dunedin, you know, carrying about half a tonne of, half a tonne of parcels is not quite credible, uh, really. But what it does say is that looking forward, as we were saying before, we need to think more about the integration of those two sides of the business in order to enable that letter business to continue until or whenever or if ever, basically, business and the public decide that that is a memory, something they don't do any longer, like semaphore or whatever it may be. <laughs> Does that mean the focus is really on the bank now? The bank is, is the growth part of the business. I mean, you look at the annual profits we now make, the bank dominates in that, clearly dominates in assets. That's a bit sort of, I wouldn't say it's misleading, but obviously banks have very large assets because they have also large liabilities. They borrow money and they lend it. Um, so the asset liability part of the book looks extremely large compared with a, a, a postal company. Um, but yes, I mean, the, the bank is, uh, and that creates some of its own sorts of, of challenges um, in a way. Like, like what kind of challenges? Well, one of the problems is that the ratings agency, at least Standard Poor's, keeps saying the bank's too large and that means you're exposed to, to more risk. And we say, well, actually, we're a largely retail bank and that's actually a pretty safe kind of business. But one of their concerns is that New Zealand Post is the parent group of the bank. Yes, that they, that they have that worry, but we find it quite strange and we find them quite sloppy in their analysis, actually. I'll be as blunt as I can. They've said a number of things which I just find quite extraordinary. Like, like what? For example, they seem to assume that there's a serious risk of a major collapse in property values um, in New Zealand. And I'd said to them, well, actually, find me one in the last 150 years in New Zealand. We tend to flatten out for periods of time, and they might go down a little bit, like 2008-9, there was a bit of a drop in values. But compared, say, with an island or a UK or a US or wherever, and we just, that just doesn't happen. That's not how our property market tends to work. Is it? It's a very low risk of property values dropping 30 or 40 or 50% in New Zealand, as they did in Ireland in 2008-9. So if, if that's what you're basing your assumptions on, you know, for God's sake, get to know this country. Don't just pop over here from your Sydney base, you know, enjoy a nice meal in a Wellington restaurant and then bugger off back to Sydney and tell us we're, we're in some serious trouble uh, here in that regard. Recognise that we are a retail bank and while I wouldn't want to say this too loudly and I'm being recorded by Radio New Zealand, recognise we're government owned and while the government doesn't guarantee us, some of the ratings agencies do understand that the, let's say, the nexus of connection between government ownership and a bank does bring certain realities into play. But one of the safety nets that they pointed out was the fact that you've got that $300 million of uncalled capital adequacy right. from the, the government. The uncalled capital there, it is only for effectively emergency uses. It's not just something we can dip our hands into, but it is um, a backstop in the case of the kind of scenario they paint actually ever coming to fruition. So again, we think, well, what are you trying to tell us um, around this? We don't understand what you're saying. I think they quite seriously underestimated the amount of change and adaptation New Zealand Post has engaged in. I mean, we have reduced staff numbers very substantially over a period of years now. I mean, a lot of this has been going on without huge public hoo-ha, 
Uh, we've now got to the stage where we've got things like the processing facilities, so we're announcing large lumps um, of, of redundancy in one go. If we, if we are able to rationalise um, the delivery system, clearly that has an impact upon our staffing. One of the reasons that we want to get a clear signal from the government about that within the near future is so that we can plan for that, so that we can help to assist people through um, into new careers, not just sort of chuck them out the door with two days' notice. I just want to come back to Kiwi Bank. It's now making up about 70% of the group's earnings. Yes. Are you in a situation now where, as has happened globally, your postal bank's outgrowing its parent? Yes. Um, there is no question that the, the bank, if you like, outgrows its parent. It doesn't mean to say that they don't re remain parent and grown-up child. The logic doesn't follow, therefore you separate to because that to some extent loses some of the synergy between the bank um, and post, particularly around the, 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 the physical facilities. What it does mean is that whereas the bank initially was a useful, if you like, support for post in terms of providing additional usage for post centres, etc., we're now reaching the point where the bank's need for new kinds of branch facilities dominates post need for a post centre in, in certainly the sort of major centres and, and, the, and the secondary, and the next tier down of urban centres within New Zealand. So no secret that we've got plans for around about 50 new sort of tier one uh, branches, which will be primarily Kiwi Bank, in fact owned by Kiwi Bank, not owned by the parent company and, and managed uh, through Kiwi Bank. So yes, in that sense, the relationship between the two is changing substantially. That's been um, further uh, intensified by changes in Reserve Bank rules, which means that now there is an equality, temporarily not, but, but an equality of directors between the parent company and independent um, directors. There are other rules around banks which now mean that there's quite a high level of independence uh, for the board. Um, of, of Kiwi Bank. So the relationship is, is, a, is an ever-developing one over time. But given that you, the Kiwi Bank seems to be outgrowing New Zealand Post, yeah. how can New Zealand Post keep on giving it the capital that it requires to grow and to become the fully-fledged business that it wants we, to, we can't wants much to be? Longer. We have a clear picture of how much longer we can do that, and it's not very long. How long? Maybe a couple of years or so. Beyond that, the bank is going to need to find other forms of raising capital and uh, to move to being more self-sustaining. It is nearly self-sustaining now. It's not that far short of being self-sustaining compared with where it was, say, five years or so ago. What other ways could there be of finding capital? Well, there are developing market mechanisms for raising capital which qualifies as Tier 1 capital for the purposes of the Basel uh, and Reserve Bank regulations, what are called hybrid instruments, but that's not developed in New Zealand. Um, we have you know, the sort of traditional means, cover bonds and the like, but it's clear that the bank has to be able to move to a greater degree of self-sustaining element uh, in, in capital, uh, and that has to be achieved within a relatively short space of time. That's certainly what the bank is planning to do. One option you haven't mentioned is the idea of privatisation and capital from outside investors. Well, the government has clearly said that 
QV Bank is not on the blocks of privatisation, full or partial. Even in the context, say, of a shareholding from another government-owned entity. But is that a wise move? I think it is a wise move to retain 100% ownership within the wider Crown network because when the idea was floated two years or so back of partial privatisation, um, there was an immediate reaction from many of the bank's customers. Um, people join Kiwi Bank because it is 100% New Zealand-owned by the government and therefore can't be owned by anybody else. People know that this is owned by the New Zealand government, therefore they, the public, 100% own Post and 100% own uh, Kiwi Bank. The only thing that, that, that I would perhaps hope is that at some point there could be a bit more flexibility around other uh, Crown organisations being able to invest in Kiwi Bank. Like someone like the Superfund, for example? Yes. yes, because there is a synergy between the Superfund and Kiwi Bank in that the Superfund not, does not have a huge interest in short-term profit. It has a large interest in long-term uh, wealth acquisition and, and profit maximisation over the long term, not the short term, which meets Kiwi Bank's um, uh, capital needs rather well, actually. I mean, it has significant potential for long-term growth, but clearly the government itself is capital constrained at the moment, and um, not unnaturally they have said that they can't put in additional capital, at least for the foreseeable future. Isn't there a concern, though, that Kiwi Bank could just become like a political football? It's at the whim of politicians now? I don't think so. I think the government, current government and certainly the previous government respect a reasonable arm's length relationship. Actually, Post is more at risk in terms of um, political interest because things happen in Post. I mean, if you want to close down a Post office, to use the old-fashioned term, which we don't use, um, that's local politics and, you know, you get killed in the rush of local body and central government politicians lining up to try and save the post office, um, even if they actually can't find anybody in the queue to sort of have a photograph with um, at the time. Um, whereas the Kiwi Bank issues are, are less open to that sort of short-term um, uh, surrounding issues, if you like. But people definitely do not want to see um, Kiwi Bank privatised. Is there an issue with the fact that, though, you've got 800,000 people, members of Kiwi Bank, who are obviously 800,000 voters, and so uh, but the possibility that maybe a government wouldn't look to sell off Kiwi Bank because it would be uh, fall on them unfavourably in terms of voting, rather than actually what's the best thing to do for the business? Well, I don't think selling off is the best thing for the business. I think we shed customers in a fairly substantial way. I think about my position. I mean, I have... have fast bulk of my assets in Kiwi Bank. If we became just another Aussie bank, trying to pretend to be a Kiwi bank like most of the Aussie banks do, you know, we're really Kiwi, really, really, despite the accent. You know, I'd have to think about TSB or whoever. What about New Zealand Post? Because Royal Mail has recently announced that it's going to float. I mean, would that ever be a potential? Well, I was just sort of quite surprised. I'm not quite sure whether they're going to buy over a business which is... Um, losing business um, uh, at the rate Royal Mail is. Um, it was easier for them. They started off with two, day, two, two deliveries a day, so their big bold move was to go down to delivering only every day. I mean, what you'd be selling in New Zealand, I suppose, would be the network to an, another type of business which 
freightways, whoever, who could see some synergies again, why wouldn't we retain those synergies um, in public ownership? Uh, it would be very hard to see why you would want to sell off something where you would... Christ if you're just seeing the core post part, I mean, not all the, lots of the other bits around us that we, we make you know, reasonably good profits on, but just the core post part, let's say just the letters and the small parcels bit. Why, as a government, would you want to crystallise the fact you're going to make a loss in, in, on paper anyway, in the sense that you're, you're, you're going to probably have to pay somebody to take it off your hands? I mean, it's not like that when, when I was Minister, we bought rail certainly a lot more than it was valued on paper. And the reason we did that was it was also clear if we didn't do that, we were up for hundreds of millions of dollars of subsidy to toll um, over the coming years because they were expecting us to buy most of their new rolling stock, etc., it was actually a deal for us to get out of an impossible relationship where they sort of had us by the throat demanding money. Um, with Post, it's almost the other way around. If it was the, uh, the letters and small parcels business, well, I can't see how you actually sell it for a positive sum. But I guess then you're um, protecting the taxpayers in the future, aren't you, by, you know, if they eventually, if you do eventually have to make mass write-offs when the structural business just declines uh. to that extent. I don't think you can get away from some of the politics around this. I mean, if you sold it and then somebody said, right, we're going to close it all down or whatever, you know, we're not going to do that stuff any longer, do something completely different. However, uh, with that network, um, there'll be enormous reaction. I mean, you know, I know from political experience myself how intensely political some of these things become. I think it's interesting that the way that we've handled the issue around delivery there is now widespread acceptance that there will be significant change. Um, but if you'd sort of floated that as the next thing we're doing, say, even five years ago, that would have been probably much more controversial. And I think people still haven't quite grasped the point that there's also going to need to be quite significant change around the retail business moving forward. Um, and that is always intensely political. We can't sort of maintain standalone posts, uh, shop centres, etc., um, indefinitely into the future. We're going to have to look at more co-locations, uh, as we already do, of course, uh, in many respects, more use of technology, uh, more self-service, um, because that network is increasingly expensive to maintain. If you go into a shop and buy a stamp, a post shop, you buy a 70 cent stamp, it costs us 43 cents to sell you that stamp before we start processing the letter, you can then put in the letterbox and delivering it um, down the other end. So, you know, there are bits in here which aren't adding up too well over the long term. In terms of the kind of reconciliation between meeting your social obligations and being a profitable business, yeah. I mean, that must be an incredibly difficult thing to, for New Zealand Post to do. Yes, it is. Some of those are not that difficult. I mean, the most obvious one is standard pricing across the country. Um, there was an intent to move away from that in the early 1990s and an absolute storm of, of protests from the rural sector, understandably. And yes, I mean, if you look at how much does it cost us to deliver a letter uh, way up in the back blocks um, of uh, mountainous uh, Otago or whatever, Canterbury, um, it's a hell of a lot of money compared with the amount that I paid for the stamp. If you look at how much does it cost us as a company to do that compared with total income, it's actually not very large. It's not worth worrying about that in, in, in the big picture. It's part of that social obligation. 
and for that we maintain our universal postal union monopoly, which is worth quite a bit of money um, to, to New Zealand Post. So there are those sort of things. On the other side, I sometimes have some interesting discussions with with people who's, who see postal as some kind of just service in an old-fashioned sense, um, you know, like, like the hospital or something um, like that. I don't know that many young people would see it that way, if they sort of understand there are th such things as letters at all, really. Um, I think they just see this as one form of communication amongst many, and why should the government, in effect, have to subsidise this form of communication versus, you know, Facebook or whatever, 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 whatever it may be? I mean, it's true that, by and large, letters are better spelt and the grammar's better um, than Twitter, um, but that's not a great sort of reason for subsidisation. He says, sadly, as an arts graduate. Um, I guess as well, there's the element of in terms of social obligation, but in terms of your workforce, because you've obviously got a very dedicated workforce. Yeah, I mean, yeah. people who've probably worked here all their lives and saw it as a yeah. career move. That's right. I mean, we have an annual wars where we've had people who've worked for us for 50 years. I think, I think actually one of it was a 60 years last year's awards, which it might sort of boggle us about working for one company for 60 years. Yes, we do, uh, and that's why... Um, I'm, I'm particularly keen that the government gives us the, the flexibility to manage change so that we can not just have to suddenly, you know, slightly vulgar, pull the chain and flush everybody in the loo. I want to have the time to be able to plan the changes so that we can put in place some sort of dedicated staff for helping people into new employment um, because people who work for us deserve that. What do you see the, the future of New Zealand Post being? I think it will continue to be actually what it is at the moment in some ways, which is a quite diverse company. It's got lots of different moving bits, though we've got sold off some of them. Uh, we sold some of them, very good profit, like our shareholding in, in, in Datacom. We'll see the letter business um, continue to decline. What we don't know is, will it sort of eventually disappear? Will you just see letters in museums? Um, or will there be a residual letter business? We'll certainly see, obviously, the parcel side of the business continue uh, to grow over time. We will, I think, continue to have uh, the bank, whether at some point in the future uh, the boards and the government decide to separate. I don't think it's even worth speculating. I think at the present time there's clearly no current proposals to do that. Uh, the government seems to have no inclination to do that. I don't think that's the issue. So I would like us to have the capacity at some point to be able to look for capital uh, from people like the Super Fund or whoever who government-owned agencies who have an interest in this kind of business uh, and in being part of it, and I think would bring um, new perspectives.